Welcome to the Joyfulness Broadcast. Today I have Anne, and Anne and I are just going to talk about stuff, right, Anne? Yes, we're just going to talk about stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Um, maybe you could introduce a little bit about yourself because I don't really know anything about you, and right. <laughs> other than what I yeah. read, um, so it'll be <laughs> cool to hear it from you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd be happy to introduce myself. I'm just going to turn. I had an alarm going off to make sure I wouldn't be late. <laughs> so um, my name is Ann Murphy, and I live in Oregon, which is on the west coast of the U.S., and I grew up in the Midwest of the United States, um, but I feel like I'm really a West Coast person now. This is my, this is like my, my homeland, my mothership, although I do love the people in the Midwest very much. Right. Um, I love the outdoorsiness out here. I spend as much time as I can um, out hiking and backpacking. I do a fair amount of solo backpacking. So that's one of the things I really like to mm. talk about with folks. Um, and I have been in the nonprofit space for 25 years. So I do fundraising for nonprofit institutions. I've focused on higher education for 25 years, but I also work with small to mid-sized nonprofits focused on working with executive directors, other leaders, and high-level volunteers to help them prepare to work with donors and potential donors to attract funding to their nonprofit. And my little spiel on that is that our nonprofit, you know, we're so used to investing in startup companies and marketing budgets for for-profit organizations. And it's almost as if people sometimes think that nonprofits fund themselves when in fact, you know, they're mostly funded. Some of them have, have some revenue models where they're actually generating income by themselves, of course, but for the most part, they're funded through philanthropy. Right. So what's really important is that we have people out working with donors who are really good at working with donors to identify the opportunities to invest in our nonprofits that will make the world a better place. So that's what, that's my passion project is on the side of my career, which I love in higher ed. I also work with other folks around the world um, and their nonprofits. So that's a little bit about me. I have two biological kids who are teenagers and who are wonderful. I have a stepdaughter who's 22. Um, I have a husband and I have two Labradors who are like the actual center of my universe. <laughs> naturally, naturally. <laughs> and how did you get into all this? Well, I'm one of the lucky people who had a mentor and role model early in my life. So when I was in, I, when I was in undergrad, I, it was really interesting, Nick. I was just drawn to go inside this office on my campus. I didn't know what they did or anything. I was just like, it was like a really big double door. And it looked, it kind of reminded me of like Narnia, like the doors on the cupboard in Narnia. Like it was just like, I have to go inside that door. So I went inside that door and I asked them what they did. And I met this woman who became my mentor and um, role model. And she taught me everything that I know today. So when I was in my early twenties, I became an expert in an area where most people don't learn to do this until they've been in the business for like 15 years. And it just really got me launched. I fell in love with working with donors and learning about their values and their hopes and their dreams and why they want to make gifts and mm. why they don't want to make gifts. Mm. And I just have spent my life, you know, in people's living rooms, talking to them about what's most important to them. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really amazing. I get to work with, you know, I like I've met people's dogs over over Zoom. I've met I've had so many adventures in working with these donors. I could never ever experienced such things if this wasn't my job. So it's pretty awesome. And what um 
what connected you with the mentor like was anything um you just feel like you you know it was interesting like i was i just i walked into their office and i was standing there right inside and she came over to me i can remember it like it was yesterday she came over to me and she like took her glasses like this and put them up put them on her head and like looked at me hi honeys um my kids just walked up and she looked at me and it was like she was kind of sizing me up and I passed the test whatever the test was in her mind I passed it and she knew that I was talented like she knew that there was something inside me and she just made me her protege I don't know why exactly like why we're we're such a good team but I feel really, really fortunate because, and, and it's so funny, Nick, because I thought that everyone is like that because she was like my first, like major employer mm-hmm. besides like pizza shops and stuff when I was growing up. And, um, I thought that all, it, all like bosses were like that. Right. And then after she wasn't my boss anymore, I was like, oh, she was really special. Um, <laughs> uh, And what was nice about that is I learned to be a mentor. You know, I learned how to be a good mentor. And then later on, when I didn't have her as my boss anymore, I learned what not to do as a mentor. So it was really just like such a gift, such a gift and such a fluke. So serendipitous, you know? Yeah, that's quite amazing. And it is pretty cool. Shaped your whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because of those doors a long time ago that's quite amazing yeah exactly I opened that door and I opened the door to what would be my life's work right well you know this podcast called the joyfulness broadcast so maybe we can explore how your um view of life has transformed over time you mentioned that um backpacking or learning to solo pack backcountry um yeah i'm using the right terminology <laughs> uh, yeah. something that helped you transform your life yeah so, so yes okay so i have i have thoughts and feelings about this that i think will be helpful to your audience or at least of interest sure. um one of the things that drew me to backpacking in the backcountry and even the solo aspect of it is that when you're out there, you're doing something hard. Like there's nothing about it that's easy or leisurely. You don't bring like magazines to read or, you know, like you don't play games on your phone. At least I don't because you're just doing tasks, right? You're either putting one foot in front of the other or you're setting up camp, or you're doing camp chores, or you're getting ready for the day, or you're making sure you're properly properly fueled up. And so you're working hard and there's no room for self-doubt. Then there's no room for self-loathing. There's only room, because you're doing such a hard thing for so many hours, there's only room for loving yourself and having confidence in your abilities and um being positive about you can't think about what you can't do you could only think of what you can do it's a very intense for me a very intense mindset and the reason why that has been so life-changing for me is because i grew up and i don't know where it came from but i grew up being very hard on myself and having very high expectations And the benefit of that is that I'm also very high achieving because I'm always hoping to not disappoint myself. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm on a quest, you know, every day is like, do, you know, put your best foot forward, help as many people as possible, you know, be excellent. But so sometimes that generates like internalized, um, like self-loathing feelings. And I never shook it. It's like, you know, I turned... 20 and then I turned 30 and then I turned 40 and I still had it. And it was Mm -hmm. like, at what point do I stop 
hating myself a little bit. And um, I found out that it was when I started backcountry hiking and backpacking Mm. that I did not have any more room in my life for that lack of love and lack of grace. Like it was overdue past time to stop doing that. And I just stopped. Mm. I just stopped feeling, I just stopped being disappointed in myself because I'm so like capable. I can really do hard things that other people like, you know, like I'm so privileged and my body will take me places and do things. And I just, there's no room for not liking myself. (laughs) So it changed me. So it just sort of stopped. It's just kind of stuck. And (laughs) part, part of the magic of it is that like, if you're out there for long enough, just like any other skill you want to learn, like, you know how you have to do something for a really long time for it to become a new habit or a new way of thinking. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to develop new ways of being, but if you're out there for long enough and you're having a positive mental attitude and you're loving yourself and you're feeling confident and positive, like eventually that just becomes who you are. In my case, that that became who I am today is confident and I love myself and as a result I can help other people I can help them love themselves it's enabled me to get mean people out of my life because I realized the difference between you know like being hard on people and being nice to people so it's been really transformational yeah oh I see so that's that's it's been like uh that moment for you one of those is that moment it happened when I turned about like 45 and then each year since then has been like you know women are told that they're in their prime when they're in their 20s and I I don't know any woman who's actually in her prime in her 20s I don't know any human who's in their prime in their 20s and then their women in particular are kind of made to feel invisible and um, not as useful to society after they're like no longer in their childbearing years. Mm-hmm. And then it gets worse when you start looking old or feeling old. And what I learned was that the forties are my prime and that 45 is when it all just got started. Like I am, there's no question I'm in my prime now. If I was supposed to be in my prime in my twenties, no wonder why, like, there's no, that's not, that's not good. And I think all women should understand that the best is yet to come and whatever part about it in your twenties and your thirties, where you have this self-doubt and you don't know who you are and you don't know what society wants from you. And you, you know, all those things, it'll pass. You just get wiser and just get better and better. I don't know. I just feel like I'm in my prime and I'm, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of years. I didn't expect this. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how we have like a certain image of how things should be. And that's another, just another one, but it's all, yeah. it's all made up. Someone made it up. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah who makes these things up i don't know someone and then people just buy into it um yeah but you could equally just drop it and well like you just said you know your prime is whatever whenever it happens is your prime i guess huh yeah whenever it happens that's your prime (laughs) and then you gotta just like ah soak it up because it's so delicious and wonderful to feel like you're in your prime it's just the best, the best thing ever. That's um, delicious and wonderful to feel like <laughs> the prime. I think that's a great podcast episode title. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> that. <laughs> that is, well, what does it mean to be in your prime um, for you? What does that mean? That's a really great question. I think that um, one of the key words I, I would use is how engaged I feel with everything around me. Like not just the people who I love, who are in my like immediate sphere, but the people around the world who 
who are suffering and also who are experiencing joy and who are thriving, like the whole spectrum. And that I actually feel like I'm here and accessible and available to be helpful to them, to the people in my immediate sphere, as well as everybody else. And that now what that looks like is that I kind of can inventory the gifts that I have so I know like what I can offer to the world too. Whereas when I wasn't in my prime, I would not have accepted that my gifts are my gifts. I would have thought, well, I'm not good enough yet. Well, I have to wait until I achieve this one other thing or this other magical milestone, you know, comes and goes, and then I'll be ready. Whereas in, in my prime, I feel like I'm just ready. I'm, I'm, plugged in i'm not wasting energy and i'm not wasting time on all on like lots of nonsense that i that i seem to earlier in my in my life right what kind of nonsense was that Mm. well i think that i spent a lot of time wondering what other people thought of me Mm. a lot of time and being pretty convinced that it wasn't like they didn't have a positive, you know, perception of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I did. I was okay with being treated in ways that now I look back on as unacceptably. Like I would never ever accept certain things that I did back then. Um, not that they were awful per se, but I just expect more and require more from people who want to be close to me. I don't want to, I don't want to have to rationalize anybody's behavior. What I want is for them to be aware of my boundaries and respect them. Mm. Does does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. (laughs) So it's like, um, (laughs) is another way to say that is sort of what you um, tolerated around yourself changed? Yeah, I was totally fine with whatever and whoever, and I would just adjust. And now it's not that I'm like rigid, but it's, it's that. More just like, no, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no, like you can, like, it's fine for the person to do whatever they're doing or have the vibe that they have but like do it over there, like not, not in my sphere. (laughs) And, you know, I read something the other day of this like quote or anecdote where the woman said, most of the time when I'm upset with someone, I realize that it's because I didn't establish clear boundaries. And it's like, wow, that makes so much sense to me. When I'm upset with someone, it's because I didn't establish the boundaries. It's not because they were acting out. They were being themselves. They were in character. Mm -hmm. But I had just not made it clear that that wasn't copacetic with me. Right. So Mm -hmm. doing better about that. Mm -hmm. I I totally understand that one. I think um, for me, at least, it it gets tricky with family (laughs) or with people who are in your life that part of it and that's sort of um for me that's where it became an opportunity to surrender more to whatever comes up be like okay (laughs) and just drop my head sort of like that but not in defeat just um because i'm aware of when defensiveness comes up and it's like yeah so much history there so it's a really good opportunity to surrender so i'm really interested in exploring that a bit actually um what's the line for you of like drawing a boundary and then also surrendering to whatever might be happening or can you do both? It's a very good question. So one of my rules for myself is that if something feels weird or uncomfortable or like angsty Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, I agree. Like, I know you're like, you made a hand gesture like this when you said, I know when the defensiveness is coming up because I know it's like in your chest a little bit and you start to feel this like, like beehive a little bit and in your chest. And so 
when I start to feel that, here's what I say to myself. Um, don't bite quite yet. <laughs> Let this go. Watch, like it's like you're watching a movie, like you're having an out-of-body experience and you're just looking down on this scene. What's right. happening here? And you're in the scene, but that does not mean that you have to um, react, right? right. Like you, you can't control how other people are behaving, but you can control how you're going to react. And when that doesn't work, my backup plan is before I, um, before I try to address it in the moment, I tell myself, you have to wait until you wash your hair at least one time. Oh, and wow. then you're, yeah. And then <laughs> you're allowed to address it because the washing of the hair means likely um, I've had food, I've exercised and I've slept. And then I'm allowed to check in with myself. How do I actually feel about this? And do I actually want to, you know, follow up with the person and clarify some stuff? And usually at nine times out of 10, I'm like, oh yeah, that wasn't that big of a deal. I was mm -hmm. just, you know, feeling, maybe I was hangry or maybe I was feeling <laughs> sensitive or maybe I was just feeling a little wobbly. That's most of the time it's, I'm just feeling a little bit, I don't know, a little, little bit wobbly, like a little bit, just like not clear myself. Mm. So I give myself the, you have to wash your hair once, at least once, and then you can address it. And I've only had to wash my hair twice, like a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so wash your hair twice. Is that like two, two, two showers or two days? Yeah. Like two overnights. Yeah. Oh, okay, like okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'm like, well, I think I'm still mad about that, but I'm not sure I should be mad. And right. so then I'll give it another, another night's sleep, another day of, you know, yeah. self-care. And mm. then I decide. You, you bring up something good there. Um, self-care. So something interesting to explore might be what that means to you. Cause I, I've seen at least for me that there's like a lot of, I know it's a very popular thing right now. And there seems yeah. to be an emphasis on uh, more the externals. Like, you know, you get a manicure, you get a massage yeah. um, and wondering, at least for me, it seems self-care is more um, self-care, caring for the self. So if you yeah. identify yourself as a body and then you'll care for the body. But if you identify yourself as deeper, you'll. Yes. Matter. So what's that been like for you? What is self-care for you? In other words, self-care. So um, I think there's two areas for that for me. One mm -hmm. is just making sure that all the basics are taken care of. So um, you're from, are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Uh, a little, maybe you could go over it. Okay, so the very top part is self-actualization. It's a triangle. Yeah. Tippy top is self-actualization and the bottom is like food, shelter, right, you know, yeah. like the yeah. very basics. Basically. So for, for me, eat, sleep, exercise. If those three things are taken care of and they're pretty glued down, then I can do almost, I can handle a lot more mm -hmm. stuff. Um, the other piece of self-care is, it's the only thing I've ever learned that's, like really checks that box is if I can get out of my own head and do mm. something for or with another person. Ah, cool. That's it. So like, sometimes I will, really cool. <laughs> yeah, like it just, it changes my brain chemistry. I think mm. it's just like, it's just like, and it's so easy because you know how it is. Like, you can know nothing is too small. No act of kindness is too small. You just do a little something, answer somebody's email where they wanted something or needed something. And like, it's to help them not help me, you know, um, mm. help the person next to my next door neighbor with their, you know, recycling or, you know, um, write some like thank you notes or, do the dishes when it's somebody else's job to do it that day. Just like little things that just seem to change my, change my mindset. And yeah. it feels good. Cause you know, it does it like you do have like 
dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin that goes off when you do altruistic things. Mm -hmm. So it actually does give you a, a feeling in your body and a feeling in your brain when you do something for other people. Mm. So it gives you happiness. Right. Brings about the feeling. Yeah. But then yeah. if you do it for that, it probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. Like you got to do it authentically. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't found anything like the, like going and getting a manicure or a pedicure or like stuff like that has never really worked for me. I've never thought of that as I'll actually feel cared, like self cared for when I do stuff like that. I think it does work for other people. It just doesn't happen to work for me, like a bubble bath or something like mm, just doesn't work for me. If it worked, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I see. I mean, it's nice. Yeah, I've done the bath stuff before. Um, just thinking, it was it was nice. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do for self care? Oh, uh, inquire. I would say, and take a step back. Um, yeah. How things seem, and do my best to look through the what appears to be, and try to uh -huh. see deeper. Um, yeah. Uh, I have something that's been quite useful that I've just remembered that hey, if this wasn't a thought, would there, if there wasn't any th thought here, would there be a problem? And then often the answer is no. Um, so <laughs> that to me is a really way, really fun way to self care by looking through and be like, hang on. Um, a really helpful question I found is, isn't this just a memory? Like whatever Ooh. it is. And it just cuts right through and you say, oh yeah, it is. Um, and then the problems just dissolve. They tend to dissolve. <laughs> it's a fun one. That's amazing. You know, we put so much stock in our thoughts. Like, oh, yeah. so it's as though our thoughts are like us, the physical being and us, like a thought is a chair or a house or a refrigerator. It's like, it's there. And it's, it's like, you can't move it, but mm. that's not true. Because they're just thoughts. Right. They're like, they're nothing. They don't exist. Mm. They're actually nothing. <laughs> you can't see them. You mm. can't, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. The other day I was thinking, I started texting my husband and asking him about whether thoughts really mattered. And so he, he, he would not engage in that conversation. I don't know what they are, but we we take everything. We base our whole lives on thoughts. Mm. You just put up a really good. I don't know what they are, but our whole lives are built around them. That's a pretty good point. Too. Yeah. I mean, you can't see them. You can't feel them. You can't. Right. You can't quantify them. Mm. You can't. I mean, I guess scientists can, but normal everyday people, you can't be like this thought is blue or this thought is steel or this thought is grains of sand. I mean, it's nothing. Hmm. It's not a thing. <laughs> so you can just change it. I worked with this one coach who taught me the coolest thing. She said, and I use this with people all the time. Hmm. We are always telling ourselves stories. So let's make them good ones. Right. <laughs> make up a good story if you don't have one mm. or, or see through the story or see through the story or know that the story is just a memory oh yeah that's it so there's a really funny one in terms of memory and stories um let's hear it my like a spiritual teacher would say that um his name is david hawkins he'd, he'd say in his experience working with people with alzheimer's they're the closest people to being enlightened on earth because <laughs> they just live. You ask them, what's your name? Ah, well, how old are you? Eh. Eh. <laughs> They're just like little Buddhas. Um, yeah. Yeah. He would say that the suffering is actually not in the Alzheimer's, but it's in the family and the attachment that people. Oh, a hundred percent. 
That's my mom, nice. my mom had Alzheimer's disease and died really, really early in her life. She had early onset Alzheimer's disease hmm. and the peace that she found during that decade of her life wow. was amazing. So you and, noticed it. You noticed Oh, a hundred percent. My mom became pure love. That wow. was it. That's amazing. Pure love. Yeah. Pure love and literally nothing else. That was it. Just love. So what does that mean? Could you, what, like, could you give an example of what that means? Oh, um, how that looks, how that might look in other words. Um, I would say some of it is, is like, some of it is like their signals, like someone's demeanor or the look on someone's face when they see you. Ah, right. right. Um, <laughs> that kind of a thing. But then there's also something intangible about it. Yeah. I, where it's just a, a sweet, warm, <laughs> like just a loving, like kind of like, I would describe it as, I guess in the case with my mom, and this may not be generalized to everybody, but in the mm -hmm. case with my mom, it felt like, almost like I was a baby and she just was like, there was no, it was like just love, like me and her in a little bubble of love. Like it is when you're uh, an infant with your mom. Her. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. That's actually yeah. that. I wonder how totally. many other cases are like that for, um, I don't know, but my mom and I did not, we did not get along at all. Like she was, we had really a lot of, a lot of, a lot of struggles um but when things shifted just got better that's amazing she she loved me again well, yeah. it was all it was all a memory so she forgot it and then <laughs> <laughs> exactly it was all a memory she forgot yeah yeah it's an amazing one because we place so much emphasis i think on, in this culture in this day and age so much emphasis on memory and like we are the memories we get so freaked out if we lose them. Like even like you see all the Ooh. making good memories, make beautiful memories. But the beauty is I find it's not in the memory. It's in, it's in what we are. Um, yeah. Memory is just a memory. Yeah. We're always trying to make a memory. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it is quite interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. <laughs> make trying to make a memory. Trying to make a memory. It's like it. the memory is going to happen whether you make yeah. it or not, right? Hmm. Sort of making memories is sort of like intertwined with trying to control everything. <laughs> I got to make yeah. it do that one. Now this one's going to be like that. And then this is going to be like that. Right. You think like if you can do the thing that makes the memory, you can predict and control what the memory is going to look like or feel like, which you can't, your memory is, it has a mind of its own. It'll decide what you remember. And people don't remember anything properly. We know this. Yeah. yeah Memory is going to be very different. Same event. Everyone has a different perception of it. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this. Do you, what do you think about reality? <laughs> Just a small question. What do you think? Is reality is reality real or is it all what we perceive? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I guess we have to first explore what, what real is. Um, what does that mean? Um, is real, is it what we feel? Is it what appears? Is it what uh, thought is there or what idea is there? Or is it that which underlies it? Um, yeah. Well, this actually points to a fun thing. So I like speaking as accurately as possible. Um, so if there's e even like with a feeling, because what we're really used to is saying, I'm angry, to say even more accurately that fear is arising Ooh. Um, or, or anger is arising. Or if there's someone that's doing something and it's, it's bringing up an agitation with, within, then we can yeah. say, well, what seems to be happening seems to be bringing up agitation with, uh, uh -huh. you, can even, you can even admit within because within and without, they're just, 
mentations. Like if you don't say anything about it, in other words, what's left? And it's right. like can't really put words to it. Um, yes. So in terms of reality, you can't really put words to it. And if you can put words to it, it's probably not it. It isn't it. Um, it's just a memory. It's just an idea. But it feels real. Or it feels, feels real. It feels visceral. And then um, because it feels visceral, then it's believed in and says, yeah, it's felt, so it's real. Um, or something like that which can get you into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> um, trouble in the sense of suffering, like all mm -hmm. the, um, suffering, taking the feelings. Because there's so much fear. I've discovered that there's so much more fear within than anticipated <laughs> or expected. Mm. And if that fear is taken to be me and taken to be real, mm. there's going to be a lot of suffering. But if it's just taken yeah. to be fear... This is just fear. It's not even me. Um, then, right? Then there's. It still might be there, but it's not quite as. It's more non-attached. It's more like this is a fear. Yes. It, so it does what it does, and then it sort of tends to just dissolve. Um, has been my experience with it. Yeah. So in terms of reality, it's almost like you can say what it's not, but you can't say what it is. Um, right. You can only be be it um you can't say it if you say it that's not it because that's just an idea it's just a memory that's just an idea that's just a perception it's a figment yeah yeah i i like this exercise um we can do it actually do you want to do it together do you want to do it together yes let's do it it's a really it. fun one it's a really fun one so in this moment if you don't go into memory or imagination what's actually here now Hmm. I, I would say, is that a question for me to answer? Or are we just thinking about it? Oh, no, no, no. So if, uh, <laughs> if you didn't say anything about it, what's left? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> okay. So probably nothingness. Right. But so can you even beyond that and even deeper uh, through your direct experience right now, can you actually find a nothingness or can we? Mm. So the point of this exercise for me is as I, as you go deeper, as, as we go deeper, it starts to get to this point where thoughts can't go there anymore. And it sort of agitates the mind. It's like, it's like that uh -huh. churning of the uh -huh. mouth. Like, I can't say anything. Yeah. And and it just stops, at least in my experience. Then there's a momentary just silence, peace, just nothing. And then the mind comes back. It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 problem, problem. Where's the problem? I gotta find it. I gotta find it. There's a problem here. There's a problem. <laughs> I gotta find it. Yeah, that's been my experience. So that's been, it was just a really fun exercise for me um, because it started, it gives like a different reference point. It's like, wait a minute, when there's not, none of these thoughts, when there's none of these memories, when there's none of this imagination, there's just that stillness. There's just that. And then out of habit, addiction, addiction, really, it's an addiction. Addiction. Um, there's an addiction to problems. No wonder we have so many. Oh my God. Having them. Such an addiction. <laughs> we love having them. We yeah. must find them. We have to. If we didn't have any I mean, problems, what would we do all day? <laughs> what would we do all day? I'm like, I mean, like there's like a constant scan, right? Like, yeah. where's the problem? Where's the problem? Okay, there's the problem. Okay, phew. Where's the <laughs> problem? Where's the problem? Okay, phew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like where yeah. it's there's a there's an identification with the with the one that has problems. So we're like, if if there's no one having a problem, where did I go? <laughs> right. <laughs> And so it's quite, yeah. It's a fun. Well, and some some at. people really gravitate toward solving problems because it gives mm. them like a zhuzh. It gives them a, a feeling, and also there's like an accuracy to it because you find a problem, you can fix a problem. Find the problem, fix the problem. Find the problem, fix the problem. And I think that we get we just get something out of that. 
Oh yeah, I could. As you were saying that, I just had the, this image of someone just snorting cocaine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's uh, like it's got my spot. fix of problem solving today. <laughs> it, gives, it does. It gives that like hit. That hit. Um, gives you a hit. Yeah. Gratification or something. Yeah, I think that can be a challenging one to start to see though, is to be like, there actually is this gratification, and if I wanted peace, I'd have it. Yeah, I actually want. Yeah, you know it's interesting because I have have somebody in my life who's who's a real problem solver. Like she's amazing at solving problems, Mm -hmm. and I've always admired her for that. And I realized just recently that she finds way more problems than the average bear. And part of the reason why she's so good at problem solving is because she's had so many reps because she finds the problems. Like she's really good Mm -hmm. at finding problems. And I started to think, well, if she didn't find the problems, would there be she didn't fix the and she didn't fix the problems because she didn't find them, would everything be okay? <laughs> yeah. Or like, would it come out sideways? Where would I mean, where would that energy go? Like, would she implode if she wasn't pro- problem solving? <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> because i don't even see the problems she sees i'm like i don't even i i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> what problem right right <laughs> like it doesn't exist but yeah. she found it and she's fixing it which is great and she's very talented but I'm like how how blissful it is to not even literally not even notice the problem love right. that mm. don't even see it don't even see the problem yeah. And I don't I don't mean that in the in the sense of big life global challenges being problems. I'm not talking about institutional racism and all that. I'm talking about like, you know, did somebody misfile something or was some process broken at work or did somebody do something that sounded not right or you know, like small problems, not yeah. existential problems because we should fix those problems. Well, see, I like the a different perspective on that is to look at to see everything as just being an expression of something underlying it. And so instead of seeing it as a problem, institutional racism, let's say, um, would look at, okay, well, where's this coming from? So it's more of an inquiry. And then in my experience, when as you get to the root of it, it just becomes more obvious and apparent. Yeah. And then things just change automatically as people see the, as we see the root of it, things just tend to change spontaneously without having to call it a problem. Cause it's not really a problem. Um, it depends on what your definition of a problem is, but it makes total sense. If you understand it, it doesn't make any sense if you don't understand it. Um, so you can still, at least in my experience, fix things or in the sense you can change things, um without having to call it a problem you can just say hey this is happening because like this is what's happening if we want something different yeah. probably this is a way to go and if not then all right but it's your choice if you want to blow, like if you want to blow yourself up go for it um <laughs> but if you don't you probably want to take this route instead so it's not a problem it's only a problem if you yeah if you say it is again yeah right you can still be blissfully resolving world issues you know without having to um create because problem tends to create conflict um yes and then if you if you're the person who's in that generating that and you, and someone says you have a problem like what you'll just be on the defensive straight away um but if you say hey like have you seen this and, and then that question sort of invites awareness and then that awareness tends to dissolve everything. yeah so yeah having to fix it um or, or change change it there's a scene in the mother Teresa movie um where she was in a uh convent she just opened up like a home for the for the dying and the very very sick and in the movie the because she was um christian yeah she was christian and it was in india and there were all these people at the door saying get out of here get out of here you shouldn't be here why are you here and then mother Teresa just looked at them and it's like um yeah just said we're here for the dying and then one of the people actually stood up and said 
none of us have ever done this for them. Um, <sighs> and she's here helping these people. But she, yeah, Mother Teresa didn't see it as a problem. She was just, and then that sort of invited an awareness from one of the people who, if she said, you have a problem, why are you here? Look at, you're an idiot. I'm helping you. Look at your, your idiots. Right. But she didn't say that. She just lovingly was there. And then one of the people on the other, in the group that were attacking her, realized and like, wait a minute, what are we doing? And then that yeah. realization just dissolved everything. Um, yeah, it's amazing without having to call it, create conflict. Because to me, problem implies some sort of conflict or um, agitation, like irritation, like rubbing against. Yeah, I think, I think that I've learned over time that you can call people, you can call, you can put words on things, like mm -hmm. words matter, to your yeah. point. If you call it a problem, it's going to be friction and static and it's undesirable. Yeah, that's the one. If you, right? And if you don't diagnose it and put that vocabulary word on it, maybe it's not for friction and static. Maybe it's for finessing. Maybe it's for stepping back. Maybe it's for, you know, turning into a puddle you know like not bearing down on anything just mm. letting it i think you said what did you said a word earlier surrender <laughs> yeah it's a big one because i think actually the i heard someone the first time i heard someone say this was charles eisenstein and he, um He's able to like dissect what's happening with society like really, really well and really lovingly, just so lovingly. And he is the first one I heard say this. And now as we speak, I sort of am realizing it more um, that actually fixing problems is the very foundation for all the problems. Because <laughs> it, Like there's always something else to fix, but what ends up happening is it creates this like, even like take, for example, startups, there's always the whole foundation is find a problem to fix, find a problem to fix without actually looking at the conditions that allowed it to happen. Like maybe yes. something a lot deeper. And if you're, although it seems again, about appearance, although it seems to be helping, is it in the long run, how does this look? What will this yeah. propagate? And it just keeps sort of spiraling. It's the next, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. Problem, right. problem, problem. It's sort of like the absurdity of um, the of an economy based on infinite growth on a planet that has finite resources. You know, it seems like yep. creating things is nice, but in the long run, maybe you know, maybe something. Not to say it's a good thing, but also not to say it's a bad thing. But for example, something like the corona or something like a financial crisis, although that seems like a bad thing at the time, in the long run, who knows? You never really know how it ends up until you see the whole picture, um, which we don't because we're... <laughs> which we don't because we die. <laughs> we don't see the whole picture. We just see... <laughs> Which then all goes back to like, if you wrap all of this together, I feel like the, 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 the takeaway for me is all points to what you have is this moment. Mm. That's it. The ridiculosity of thinking you have anything else. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Mm. You can only have this moment. You can't have any other moment. You get this one. <laughs> You get this one. And I, you know, I, I always think of like, I think in terms of lifespan, you know, like I only get one time around it, it, for my belief system. I only get one time around on this planet mm -hmm. and how do I want to spend it? And that gets pretty quickly into what's the future going to be like? What's the past like? How can I manipulate the future? Mm -hmm. And you know, to be like the making memories thing, right? Like yeah. what can I do now that makes that sets up something for the future? And like coronavirus was a perfect example of like, you know, nobody planned for that. Uh, clearly nobody planned for it, <laughs> but you know, we all had hopes and dreams for what we were going to be doing in the last 20 months, at least in the U S you know, 20 months for you all. I think it was much shorter, correct? Oh, uh, you know, 
maybe COVID. Yeah. So it just all points to like, you can't, you can't really make things happen. You have to just, my son is really an in the moment person and he really inspires me. Hmm. Um, he does not care about what happened 10 minutes ago and he does not care about what's going to happen in 10 minutes. Like he's just fully in the moment and it is like so otherworldly to be around. It's hmm. so inspiring. So inspiring. It's beautiful. I hope he's oh I hope he's always I hope he's always like that because it's <laughs> just so rad. Well, that actually yeah. speaks to something really good. Um, or something quite helpful to see is that we tend to think in terms of achievement and things and yes. things or doing things, but actually, like you just pointed to, um it's who we are that really affects people the most. Um, and if we are totally if we actually live and see that there is only there's only this right now. Um, and we actually live that not as a concept, but as our experience of life, not only is our life really joyous and wonderful and beautiful and free of worries and cares. Cause all of those are in the future <laughs> or yes. they're all, I don't even know where to point to exactly like, um, nothing <laughs> in terms of imagination. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, it's just something to unlearn. That's all. We just, we just le- spent 18 years of our life. Most of us in the school system learning and the so learning stuff. Yeah. Learning a certain view of the world. Um, that's quite exactly. cold and there's just basically bouncing around blobs and of matter. <laughs> that's sort of what you learn in primary school. It's a bit, um, there's an interesting one because I think in America as well, this was where they didn't want to like indoctrinate kids with religious systems in school. Wasn't there's a whole thing around that, but the funny thing yeah. is that instead they're indoctrinating with secularism. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so either way, totally indoctrinate with something. Um, so that's, that's quite a. Right. Okay. So this is a little bit of a left turn from it, but I think it's so, it's so relevant to what you shared with, regard to secularism and 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 kind of dogma is religious dogma anyway this whole thing about critical race theory so this has come up in the u.s where you know as we started to share the reality of our country's history and slavery people there was a backlash against that saying well now you're now you're telling everybody and teaching these little kids that we're all white supremacists and it's like you know going back and forth like no we were telling to we were like the goal here was an accurate telling of the history of this country and it happens to be that it was really evil like we're not making this up and so the backlash is against telling the truth right and they're saying well yeah okay maybe it's kind of sort of true but let's just continue to not talk about slavery in school and it kind of relates to like what the the reality question of people don't want to admit that there was a reality Hmm. they're better off they're they're happier with saying let's not talk about that reality and that talking about that reality that is a reality like that did happen and talking about it is somehow problematic like they they don't want it to happen so we're in this big thing in the U.S. of you know first we put things back into the curriculum teaching the accurate history of the U.S. Hmm. And now they're trying to take it out of the curriculum by they, I mean, the ongoing Trump administration and Trumpers and all that kind of stuff. Um, Sorry to go, go there, but it's still, it's still a thing. Um, um, They're trying to take it out 
of the curriculum. They want kids to not know and not understand what this country was founded on. They don't want kids to know that they are privileged and that it's built off the backs of slavery. So I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's about people, maybe people are allergic to reality to some extent. Maybe it's too much. Maybe reality is too much for people sometimes. Maybe. I think also it's a matter of how things are presented. So mm. when you naturally, naturally, if you say y'all are evil, there's going to be a lot of guilt. <laughs> that's brought For up. sure. And For that sure. guilt is going to be, I mean, that's a large, my understanding, a large part of why secularism is becoming a lot more popular because of the guilt that comes with the whole sin thing um it's a similar thing here um i think it's how you present it and in terms of truth truth depends on context so for mm -hmm. example evil is from a particular context so from this mm. time and this place if you look back and you say um look at slavery and you say well that's nothing we would do right now because our society and our culture is completely different to what it was say 200 years ago the standard 200 years ago is very different and for example in rome rome was mostly made up of slaves like slavery was just mm -hmm. how people lived the slaves actually had mm -hmm. quite a good life in those times it was just a normal normal thing in the sense of whatever mm. day right now for us mm -hmm. i think you get into so much trouble um we, we get into a lot of trouble um when we miscontextualize things we say mm. slavery was evil okay sure from this perspective from this point of time yeah it's not something we would do um but from actually from a perspective of the barbarians so they used to be barbarians and barbarian hordes would come in and slaughter everyone we say that's evil. Mm. Well, it's just how things were at the time. That's just the mm -hmm. evolution of mankind is not a pretty one. It's just it's mm -hmm. an animalistic one because humans are animals. And mm -hmm. Animals, you know, the the apes that rip each other apart, are they evil? They're just apes. The same mm. thing. I think the problem is we think humans are so civilized. We are now, maybe, but we're actually still animals. You know, we still have an animal brain. So with the slavery one. It's funny if you look at it from the perspective of now it seems evil but if you look at it from the perspective of barbarian slaughtering it's actually a step up um, that's true <laughs> so we went from slaughtering each other now we started to actually value human life and we say wait a minute human life has some value and yes the value was self-serving but it was still a step up evolution yep, um, yep. So from that perspective slavery was actually a great step forward and then moving forward slavery became now the thing holding us back from valuing human life even more um exactly so in terms of teaching it in schools i think that's a tricky one because what can happen is if you misconstrued context you'll say we are evil everyone you should be guilty for being uh from being white but if you contextualize yep. it differently you say like this is what happened this is what happened <laughs> this is what happened yep. It, right. without either saying it's bad without saying it's good just contextualizing it as it happened as it evolved yeah that's where you can start to get true understanding and a true um peace among everyone um and it's sort of like beautiful that you're like well we came from that and now we're here isn't that amazing it's sort of miraculous yeah. actually um considering the history of humanity for most of time is not a pretty one no <laughs> not definitely one. not no not at all like for thousands <laughs> of years the standard was you go to your local stoning <laughs> you know oh yeah for thousands of years thousands yeah so, very good point yeah i think that's the really really big one is context that's what context is if in con within context nothing's evil it's just it's just animal nature expressing itself Mm -hmm. very naturally as it does yeah um so that 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 is a that is a fun one to explore yes. you brought it up yeah, this, <laughs> yeah it's fun one to explore and understand but we're definitely not taught it in schools as well so like mm -mm. for me the i learned i had to learn this through hawking's uh teacher he taught me about context he taught me about truth oh really Oh yeah. So looking at consciousness evolution and seeing, wow, that's where I learned that if you 
look back with the current lens, then you're going to make errors and there's going to be evil, there's going to yeah. be sins. But if you look back from that lens, then it's all going to be just natural. In the same Interesting. sense, right now, there are things that are just natural to us back then. Yeah. If you grow up in a village where like just taking the stoning or the hanging, everyone goes to the stoning, everyone goes to the hanging, or even there's, a, there's the Colosseum. So the Roman Colosseum is quite brutal, quite violent, but everyone, that's a natural mm. thing. Everyone went to it. Um, mm. And if you didn't cheer on, uh, then everyone would look at you and maybe <gasps> they'd be like, what, like, maybe they'll throw you in the Colosseum. But if you cheer on, then you're taking partaking in it as well. So it's quite a tricky situation. That's very tricky. Or you um you join along so god i would hate to be making that choice yeah well yeah it's tough huh it's tough yeah we've yeah. come a long way um we have okay fair point yes we've come a long way <laughs> <laughs> but it's taken a lot it's taken as to your thing about uh what you said about suffering being aware of that it's taken so much um taken so long but when that's actually seen at least in my experience there's more gratitude than there is anything else or just like like how is this how are we even here like what <laughs> yeah Considering absolutely how are we even here speaking of zoom <laughs> it's a miracle it is it's a miracle it is a miracle things could have like combusted themselves very easily like megalomania of the 80s where people were very happy oh. to there was a country is happy to destroy the whole world rather than lose. And yet we're yes. still alive somehow. So. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It speaks. Yeah. See, it is quite a miracle. It really is. Miracle. We're, we're in our prime as a species, but we're also moving into our prime. <laughs> every... <laughs> exactly there's yeah. more prime there's more prime to be had i'm sure of it yeah the prime will change Optimus the prime will prime. change the prime will yep. yeah transform yeah i have to go because it's because i gotta make dinner is that okay yeah, of course well thank okay. you thank you for joining and yeah i mean you, you heard me say hi to my teenagers those yeah. kids <laughs> Those kids, they will eat eat me out of house and home. So right. I'm gonna go make I'm gonna go oh, make please, food for them. Dude. By the way, <laughs> I can see the reflection in the window behind you. It looks like a beautiful day. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. It's like the most, I mean, it's like a perfectly here. I'll show you my um I'll show you my street. Listening There's some cars. For a tour. I'm, I'll describe I'm taking I'm taking you on a tour. Okay, so you can describe it for guys the, for listeners. Okay. American. Blue, beautiful blue skies. In in the um background Mountain. there, we we have all these like mountains. Wow. Um here here yeah, here's my yard. Cool. Here's my house. You're seeing my house. My yard. Here's our sign, our Black Lives Matter sign. Um, I would we show you my dogs, front, but they front yard, and in America it's yard, and here it's front front yard or front. You call it front yard? Front, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Front yard, backyard, front front yard, backyard. Yeah, yeah. Front front yard and backyard. Yeah, we do call it. We call it front yard and backyard oh. too. The the one that really trips me up though is the front porch is a porch and the back porch is a patio uh, which just seems very confusing and i don't know why we have to do it that all way, these words are made up sir they're <laughs> i loved talking to you i i hope that we can talk again someday yeah definitely i think hopefully listeners enjoyed it as well yeah me and just too. as a final note before as you go into make some dinner is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with well let's see um yeah i will i, I there's something that's so that's so important and 
you see it everywhere, but I really think that I just want to reiterate how important it is and how fulfilling it is to be kind, Mm. be kind to yourself, be kind to others, be kind to the people who you've never met and you may never meet. Mm. Um, yeah, I think kindness is where it's at and that any opportunity to cultivate that kindness is like time well spent, you know, talk Mm. about self-care, like give yourself a dose of kindness, Mm. being kind, being kind to yourself. Like, yeah, I just think that's where it's at, Nick. I don't think there's anything else that's more important Mm. than kindness. You said be kind. You know, be kind. Fun, one thing you can do is you can actually stop. It's because it's all made up anyway. So yep. if you want, you say you can have a cool story. Well, if you want, you could let go of thinking that you're a person. Just think of yourself as kindness. Just as think quality, of yourself as kindness. You are the quality of kindness more than you are a person. And then you'll become the quality of kindness. Like you mentioned your mom. You, you Yeah. You, you personify kindness. And what a beautiful thing. Of all the things that you could be. You could be an astronaut. You could be a male person. Why not just be kindness the personification of kindness? Pure, pure kindness for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> for no reason. That's, that's actually the most powerful one is kindness for no reason. Because you kindness for, no, kind reason. for no reason. That just touches people's life. Like what? This doesn't fit into my view of the world. Why? why exactly. Kind? Why are you kind? What's going on? What's going on? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope you enjoy making dinner. I shall. I hope you have a beautiful, it's only like 1030 in the morning, correct? Yeah, 1140. 1140. So I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day, Nick. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you very much. And thank you listeners for joining us.